Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Straight ahead this week on The Insiders as 2019 winds down, out-of-state visitors face a critical challenge with February's caucuses looming. Presidential candidate Michael Bennett joins us on how Democrats can find a winning message when it comes to Iowans' paychecks. Plus, wind producers face criticism like never before. Some Iowa counties aren't sure if they even want any more of those turbines going up. And the president of the United States alleges unfounded problems about the industry. We'll have an Iowa environmental leader to join us about what she says you need to remember. And in the Insider's Quick Six, thinking ahead to 2020 about politics and beyond. From your local election headquarters, this is the Insiders with Dave Price. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays. Welcome to the Insiders. Overall, unemployment in our state and the country is low. The stock market is high and people's paychecks, that can depend. Let's begin with that as you consider your finances for 2020. Let's bring in our first guest this week, Michael Bennett, U.S. Senator from Colorado, also running for president, one of the 15 in this race. Merry Christmas. Thanks for being with us. Merry Christmas. It's good to see you. Hey, so I'm seeing and this. now I know how many candidates are still lost. So <laughs> it's, it's a good it's math, added math problem for you. Yeah. Uh, I was looking at this bankrate.com survey that came out, and according to this, only half of workers in our country have actually seen a pay raise. Right over the past year, despite what we hear about the economic numbers. Why is that? Uh, it's the same reason that for the last 50 years, literally 50 years since before I was in college, there's been no economic mobility for the bottom 90% of Americans. So the economy r grows, the GDP grows, the stock market grows, but wages stay flat. People can't afford housing, health care, higher education, or early childhood education. And we need to address that. I think that's the, actually the fundamental domestic challenge facing us as a nation. How, how do you do that as the next president? I think the two quick things you could do is reverse the tr Trump tax bill, which he said was a middle-class tax cut. 56% of it went to the richest people in America. I would take it, totally reverse it, and put it in the hands of working people in the middle class to give them a boost. And we could cut childhood poverty by 40% at the same time without adding a single federal bureaucrat um, and, and doing that all in one year. Then we've got to invest in our, our economy again. You know, we haven't been investing in education. We haven't been investing in infrastructure. We haven't been investing in R&D. And we've obviously got to fight to keep, you know, good jobs here and build a supply chain again in the United States. I think if we do all of that, we'll be able to turn things around. Uh, when you talk about middle class, obviously that can mean different things in different parts of the country and even here in our state. That's right. Making a wage in Des Moines versus maybe in southwest Iowa in yep. Crescent or something. The yep. cost of living is different. Um, what do you see uh, as middle class? I, I think that actually that's you're, you're, you're exactly right because it has to do with what you can afford to purchase. And in my mind, it's being able to afford housing, health care, higher education, and early childhood education and being able to save a little bit of money for so the So because next of that, how do, you do an, how do you do national policy? Well, that's so, you know, the tax bills that I've um, 
um, that I've proposed and I was just talking about would reflect the different geographies that we have. I actually believe that we should raise the minimum uh, wage to $15, but not everywhere in America because there are some places where that's going to drive small businesses out of business and they're not going to be able to hire people. So we have to take account of the fact that there are different realities in different economies. But we also need to understand that the jobs that we're creating that are replacing the jobs that we're losing are not as high quality as the jobs that you know once that we once had, and that's that's a fundamental challenge for our democracy. In our state, as you know, we have a Republican governor, Kim Reynolds. One of the things she's talking about is we have more job openings frequently than job seekers. So her her plan for 2020 is this idea of upskilling workers. Mm -hmm. Is that a is that a bipartisan I, I, I thing? I completely agree with that. And in fact, I'm not in the Republican Party. I'm a Democrat, but. It aggravates me that if you ask people in America what's the Democratic Party stand for in education, what you get back is free college. I'm a lot more interested in what are you doing for the 70% of high school kids that are graduating with a high school degree but not able to earn a living wage. If we change the way we're approaching high school, we change the way we approach uh, community college, I, I think we could create a situation where nobody graduates from high school without the skills to earn a living wage. That would transform the lives of millions of Americans and transform the American economy. Where do you see the government's involvement in upskilling folks? So if they don't, perhaps they don't have any college, perhaps they have minimal college or post high school, and maybe they already have kids, they're trying to figure out childcare, rent, all that kind of stuff. How do they afford to get the training? How does that work? It, we, we need to understand that in an economy that's gonna change as much as this economy is gonna change, uh, there are a lot of people in this economy who are gonna continue to need to be upskilled every a decade or less than that. And I think it is possible for us to put together a program based on what employers really need. This is not about like what the job training program needs. It's about what employers really need and will pay for. And um, we can mix the government's responsibilities. Some of that training can be done by employers, and some of that training can be done by high schools and community colleges, even college themselves. I've long been an advocate for the ability of people to be able to use Pell Grants as a form of education to buy something other than a college degree. If you can buy something that can move you from earning this uh, much money to that much money, that ought to be something that every, like what, all of what us support. In, in what other way? Uh, coding is an example, but I was in New Hampshire not that long ago and I met a young woman who was working on a hovercraft in her vocational school. Um, and, and I said, well, what are you doing after you graduate from high school? And she says, she's a senior. She said, I'm going to be an underwater welder. I said, I'll bet you that pays a lot. She said, it does pay a lot. There are jobs all over Iowa like that, too, that could pay better than a minimum wage job. Oh, we only got about a minute left here, but is it a challenge for your party, for you as a candidate, to talk about the economy when people see the headlines of low unemployment, stock markets? It's great? actually not a challenge because people are feeling they're feeling stretched. They're feeling like no matter what they do, they can't get ahead. They can't provide for their families. And just to correct the record, the job creation rate uh, on a monthly basis was higher when Barack Obama was president than it is in Donald Trump's first term. I know Donald Trump never says that, but it is absolutely the case. All right, we need to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to do a little inside politics here. How the senator lays out his chances with the Iowa caucuses now, just a little bit more than a month away. As Iowa caucus goers know, caucus night can be a time of complicated math, viability, strategy, spin, and if you're a candidate, survival at the least, but hopefully 
more than that. Let's bring back the senator here. So you got a little bit more than a month to go. You got to split your focus. Iowa's important. New Hampshire's important. So how do you how do you weigh your time? Well, I've got a, a great team here in Iowa that's working hard. I've been here the, the last couple of days doing town halls, and I'm going to have to split my time in both places. I mean, to be completely honest with you, the the caucus requires a, a lot more money because of the organizing that's required, and that's a challenge for a candidate like me. I got in this race later than some other people. So I'm going to have to spend some time in Iowa. I've actually committed to doing a bunch of town halls there, too. But I've spent a ton of time in Iowa, and um, we're working hard in a lot of these counties that were, you know, twice Obama counties and once Donald Trump counties to see if we can get some delegates out of these places. And that was the state of Iowa had more of those types yeah. of counties than any other state in the country. When you're out there talking to those folks, are those persuadable people I, who can come back? It's, so my theory is yes, and I believe it. I think it's 31 counties in Iowa, something like that. Right, which is about a third of the state. Yeah, and so here you had, I mean, the job, I think, for the nominee of the Democratic Party is not just to galvanize the Democratic base. We need to win back some of the 9 million people that voted twice for Barack Obama and once for Donald Trump, and I think they're gettable, but they're, they're we're not going to trick them into voting for the Democrats because we're offering them a bunch of free stuff. It's possible you can win a Democratic nomination that way, but I doubt very much you can win a general election that way. For me, I mean, it's very straightforward. If, if we nominate somebody who runs on an agenda that Cindy Axley can run on and Abby Finkenauer can run on, we win. And if we run on an agenda that those guys can't run on or are running away from, we're going to have a really tough time. And that's one of the reasons why I've stayed in the race, because I'm the only candidate in the race that's actually won a swing state. I've done it twice and uh, under pretty tough circumstances. This is going to be really tough as well. As per, I would assume, especially when you talk to national media, they say, hey, you didn't make the debate stage. Hey, look at your poll numbers. So when you're out there, especially in Iowa, where you have groups that are kind of more intimate than yeah. doing you know, a big press conference in some of the bigger cities, what's your sales pitch to folks about why in your mind, that doesn't matter as we well, first sit here all, a month before the Well, first of all, I don't have to do a lot of hard selling at the beginning because one of the observations I make, I say to people, I am here because I know you're less decided today than you were six weeks ago, and you're less decided in Iowa today than you were six months ago. And I built my campaign to last until uh, Iowa's actually going to cast their votes. Other people have dropped out, and I'm still here because I think – um, I think that I am presenting a, an approach to issues on health care, on climate, on the farm economy that is really consistent with what Iowa, Iowa thinks. I mean, we're just one state away in Colorado. It's really not that different. And we have about 45 seconds left. In your mind, the biggest difference campaigning in Iowa and New Hampshire, New Hampshire besides the format differences of the well, caucus and the, primary? Yeah, the it? format differences are big. Huge. That, those are huge. And... Um, I'd say that the difference is that state is geographically much, much smaller, so you can get from end to end sure. very quickly. Iowa is a lot more like Colorado, although not quite as big as Colorado. But smaller it, mountains. It's here. smaller, <laughs> smaller <laughs> mountains here. Although we've got the plains, you know, on the eastern part of my state. Um, I will say this: the one thing that makes the two states similar is the seriousness with which people take their responsibility, and it's particularly important this time because we have to decide who the right person is to beat Donald. Trump. All right, seriousness will be important later if you'll hang on while okay. I'll be back at the end of the show here when you come back for the quick six. But first, what happens to those giant wind turbine blades when they're past their prime? Talk about that as part of the future of wind energy next.
Fighting climate change has been part of the mainstream conversation these days in ways that we haven't seen before. There are deniers, of course, who do not believe science that shows humans are damaging the environment. But if you look at the broader view of this argument, it not only looks at what is best for the environment, but also how and where we should produce energy and how we protect our water and land. Carrie Johansson is the Energy Program Director for the Iowa Environmental Council, a nonpartisan organization focused on the environment because, of course, environment is actually part of the group's name. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, will you look, when we're hearing these presidential candidates come to town, I feel like this cycle, they are addressing the environment in ways that they haven't before. But like almost everything, of course, you have sort of a partisan divide here. You have the believers and the non-believers. How did your organization get involved in this discussion before we start narrowing this down? Sure. So the Iowa Environmental Council is a nonpartisan 501c3 organization, so we do not get involved in electoral politics at all. We focus just on issue advocacy. We do lobbying and advocacy at the state legislature and, and things like that, but definitely stay out of elections altogether. Uh, when, when you're at events and people talk about climate change, how do you handle it? Well, I, I think that we know many of what the solutions are to climate change. Uh, we talk about what those solutions are. We talk about you know the kinds of things that we're seeing in Iowa that we can point to climate change as being um, you know, a factor, such as you know increased flooding and uh, increased rain events, et cetera. But you know a lot of the work we do is really focused on how do we deploy more clean energy resources? And in Iowa, even though you might have something of a political divide on the issue of climate change, the issue of clean energy has historically been one that's been, had pretty bipartisan support. Okay, let's talk about one of those. So wind is generally thought of as, as clean energy, but we're seeing lately a couple of counties kind of push back at these wind turbines talking about the flickers that come from it, and some people say that it makes hum a humming sound. You have the President of the United States alleging that it somehow causes cancer. If you listen to it, just uh, last week he was talking about it lowers property values if you buy that, and it's spewing fumes all over and killing birds and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Is that damaging the industry, do you think? So I think that you know we are seeing some pushback against wind, and it's happening uh, in a pretty coordinated way. You're seeing some of the same arguments spread across the Midwest and really across states from coast to coast with the same kinds of messages and frankly the same kind of misinformation that's being spread. Uh, right now, in Iowa, the majority um, of our energy still comes from fossil fuels like coal. Um, and we know that wind energy is many, many times cleaner than coal for a lot of different reasons. Um, and so, you know, the reason I work for the Iowa Environmental Council, I, I've made this my life's work. I care about cleaning up our air and water. I care about creating a future for my son um, in the state and you know, on the planet, frankly. Um, and so wind energy is one of the solutions that's going to help us roll back uh, our use of coal in the state. Um, and when we look at the evidence that there is that coal is very damaging to human health and the kinds of impacts it's having, there's no question that wind energy is a better solution. Does it make it more challenging though when you have somebody as high profile as the President of the United States repeatedly 
say that wind is not the way to go? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think he has a really big megaphone and there's been science that has shown that, you know, giving people bad information about a technology that they might not fully understand can actually cause them to experience health impacts, etc. Um, that is very troubling to me because we need wind energy to, to be deployed at an even larger scale than we already have in order to really address the environmental problems that we're seeing. And so that kind of misinformation that actually you know, causes fear, causes people to um, react badly to having w a wind turbine as a neighbor um, is, is pretty threatening to, uh, to the future of the industry. The industry is dealing with an environmental question right now in those big, big mm -hmm. blades. What mm -hmm. happens when those things reach the end of their shelf life? Sure. They're enormous. What do you do with them? Because it's tough to, you can't just go bring them to the recycling place mm -hmm. typically. So how's that going to be handled in the future? Yeah, so right now, 80% of the weight of a wind turbine is recyclable, it's repurposed, um, and you know people are doing research all the time on how to uh, do even more recycling. The blades right now, there isn't a recycling solution, there is research happening. But just to put even that issue in perspective, um, the, the wind blades that are going to be uh, recycled or not recycled, but the wind, the wind blades that are going to be replaced as part of MidAmerican's current repowering project, um, all of those wind blades amount to less than 1% of the annual waste stream in the state of Iowa. Um, and to compare it to what we see from coal, you could repower all 4,700 wind turbines in Iowa four times every year and not create as much waste as we have from coal ash in the state. All right, let's talk about water here. For the last, I don't know how many years, we've had this issue come up in the legislative session, and of course now we're about to look ahead at the next legislative session, about this idea for water and conservation, this whole idea that we would raise our statewide sales tax to fund some of this stuff. Yeah. Where does this stand, do you think, as you head toward this session, which of course is an election year, which is always a little yeah. extra wrinkle. Yeah, I know that there are a lot of conversations that are happening around funding the sales tax this year. Um, I hope that a lot of the people who need to be involved in that conversation are, are finding what they need um, in terms of a, a discussion to get involved. I think from the Iowa Environmental Council's perspective, uh, we think the formula and how uh, and how it was approved by the voters. It's really important to stick close to that formula. So we make sure that we're getting um, both water quality benefits as well as outdoor recreation opportunities that really can feed on each other to, um, to create lots of benefits for the whole state. How do you sell the idea that in the end though, this is a tax increase? Uh, I think that, uh, you know, I know that there are discussions going on about um, how that's balanced, whether it's, uh, you know, if the pennies go, if the sales tax is raised a penny versus three-eighths of a cent, is there a tax relief um, that can happen with the rest of that, uh, rest of those funds? And, you know, those are a little questions that are a little above my pay grade, <laughs> frankly, um, as we, you know, our main, our main purpose is, you know, making sure that that funding gets deployed to help the environment. All right, many discussions to come on that. Thanks, appreciate the time. Definitely, thank you. All right, when we come back here, uh, look at the final finish, a personal pledge for 2020, along with a prediction. Presidential candidate Michael Bennett's back for the Insider's Quick Six. 
Time for the Insider's Quick Six with Senator Bennett. Question one, why are you better than Joe Biden? I'm going to put you on the spot here. I think it's time for a new generation of leadership. Question two, why are you better than Senator Amy Klobuchar? Because I was a school superintendent and in business before I was in the Senate. Question three, why are you better than Senator Cory Booker? Because... As uh, a candidate, I mean. Well, yeah, because I actually love Cory Booker. Uh, And... I, uh, I think he's a great guy, and I'm not even going to come up with a difference. <laughs> All right. Question four, what about Mayor Buttigieg? Um, the school district I ran had a budget that was three times the size of the city that he had in Indiana, and I've spent 10 years in the Senate, which is enough time to figure out how to get things done and also why the place doesn't work. So I have a vastly different experience than Mayor Pete has. Question five is not a political one, but as we look ahead to 2020, first, do you even set resolutions for yourself? And if so, do you have one? I haven't set one yet, but I imagine it's going to have something to do with being a better uh, father and a better husband. All right. And we always close with a prediction. What do you have? Iowa beats USC in the Holiday Bowl. All right know the answer to that one as you we have about 45 seconds left here as you make your final close to people I would say to people we have got to restore opportunity to our economy if we're going to save this democracy we've got to restore integrity to the White House if we're going to save this democracy I think as a parent of three daughters I think you know I want to have a present where when I'm talking to my kids about what the virtues of honesty, our integrity, our patience, fair dealing, of being a patriot, what it means to be a citizen of this country, I'd like to be able to point at the President of the United States and say, like that person. And I don't think we can do that with the person that's there. And I'd, I think you could do it if you elected me. All right, Senator, appreciate the time. Safe travel. Thanks Merry for Christmas. having me. Merry Christmas you. to you. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us. See you next week for The Insiders.